and just follow along with me, please, in Romans 3, 21 to 31. But now, apart from the law, in the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did, this to, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you speak to us through it and that it is uh, real and it's living and it's relevant to our lives, even in 2021. We do pray, Lord, today as we uh, get to, this, to the heart of Romans in this passage today that we'll be uh, so convicted by it that, Lord, that we'll see the goodness of who you are and the justice that comes from your hand. And I do pray, Lord, today uh, that you'll move our hearts towards you uh, to be a people who want to uh, honour and glorify your name. We do pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here listens to podcasts? 50% of the room only. Wow. Okay. Who here that listens to podcasts has heard about the podcast Serial? Two people. Who actually, have you guys listened to Serial? No. Oh, wow. This isn't going to work. Serial um, is actually one of the most downloaded podcasts since podcasts started, really. And it's a really interesting podcast. If you... If you do listen to it, listen to it. Season one, uh, which is the most popular, and this is why it's so famous, it's actually about the murder of a Korean student in the US. Her name is Hae Min Lee. And it's about the investigation. It's a, basically a true crime podcast uh, following the investigation to who murdered her. Really interesting because the person who got convicted was her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed. He's been, he was convicted guilty of murder, and he's, still, he's facing life in prison right now. But ever since that podcast came out, a lot of questions have come out whether he is actually the one guilty. Uh, it's journalism and storytelling at its best. It's, you know, was she strangled and dumped in the park? It, it, did he have the motive of being the jealous ex-boyfriend? Is that why he did it? You got these testimonies and these alibis and all this evidence, which is really circumstantial evidence, is presented, which, which, which makes you really think by the end of this season of, of the podcast, you guys got to get into podcasts and get into serial as well. At the end of this season, you're thinking, is he guilty? Was he, is he actually guilty? Is this man innocent or guilty? And why is he in prison right now if he isn't guilty? You're wondering at the end of it, is justice really served? Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, there's been a big rise in true crime documentaries. Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but in the past decade, you know, there's this podcast, Serial, there's another one called Criminal, 
That is my favorite. You've got to get onto that one. Criminal is really interesting uh, with Phoebe Judge. Uh, she just has a really nice voice too, so get onto that. Um, but on Netflix too, there's uh, Who's Watch Making a Murderer? Man, you guys got to watch more than Netflix. When They See Us, Don't F With Cats, the Ted Bundy tapes, crime scene. There's all these documentaries that are coming out, being released uh, with this true crime genre, and it's really revealing of something in our culture. Even if you guys aren't watching it, <laughs> there's a lot of people watching this stuff, and that's why they keep releasing content on it. Why? Because we all care about justice, don't we? And we all care about justice being served. We want the guilty to pay for their crimes because we hate injustice, and we can't let injustice slide. We, we, we want the innocent to be vindicated. We want them to have their justice, but stop and consider for a moment. While there's this big rise uh, in, in true crime stories and all that, what if we looked at the world around us and thought, what if God could see us in his true crime story? And what if history was a long narrative, which was a story of justice? And what if we were the characters in God's true crime story and we were found guilty? of offences against God himself. We've been thinking about that these last couple of weeks, haven't we? The idea of sin and our guilt before God. And see, while our generation is obsessed with true crime stories at the moment, wanting justice and the wrongs to be made right, we, wanna, we actually need to be honest with ourselves. Where do we stand in God's grand story? If we stood on trial before God, how would we fare? How could we get right with God so that his justice can still be satisfied? We have to talk about this as a church. We have to understand how this all works. Uh, if you're new here today too and you're not a Christian, we, we really want you to understand this because this is at the heart of the gospel. Justice is actually at the heart of the gospel. Sin, the idea of sin, it can't be left unpunished. Guilt can't be left unpunished if God is meant to be a loving God. We all know that God is love. We've heard that so many times outside of church, inside of church. But did you know love has to come with justice? We're going to see today how Jesus plays a part in that. You see this passage here in Romans chapter 3 is really the heart of the whole letter of Romans. We get a clear description and we get a clear explanation of what the gospel is. And so Paul, the author of Romans, he's, he's set up the picture for us so far. From chapter 1 to 3, we heard about uh, the, the, the bad news of sin, that we all stand guilty before God. Let's pick it up here in, in chapter uh, 3, verse 21, uh, and let's unpack it to, see, to hear the good news that comes uh, from the bad news. Verse 21, let's read it again. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, quick context, if you weren't here, the last two weeks we heard about how before God we're all guilty, all the evidence in our lives points to the fact that we have stuffed it in terms of being on God's good side. None of us are perfect. We don't reach his standard of holiness. We're just as guilty of sin, whether it's an outward immoral action or in our hearts, the hearts that are filled with, with pride or selfishness or judgmentalism or entitlement, as we heard last week. From the perspective of a perfect and holy God, he looks at us in, in his true crime story and we're all found guilty. We can't escape that verdict. Now, Paul wants us to get this, so he's repeating it here again in verse 23. He says, we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. If God's glory, right, what does that mean? If it means his holy presence, then there's no way we can get close to him and his glory. Because no ounce of sin, no stain, no smear, no drop of it allows us to get into his presence. 
we are unclean, essentially. It's, that, uh, it's like that, you know, when you spill ketchup on your white shirt or your blouse and you're just thinking, oh, it's tiny, but you know it's there. Like, no one else is probably looking at it, but you know it's there and it's bothering you the whole day. That whole idea is that this tiny bit of sin, even if you have the slightest amount of sin in your heart, you can't enter into his presence because you are unclean. Sin, you know, God knows the sin of our hearts, which means we all have a problem. I'm not sure how aware of, you, uh, or aware of this you are, but we have a relational problem with God. There's hostility between us. We are essentially enemies to him. That's what sin means. And, and sin also means that we don't give him, we reject him, we don't give him the glory he deserves. We disrespect him, we diss him. It's an offense against him. This is what sin does, not giving God the recognition or worship he deserves. Now, sure, we, some of us here, we're Christians, and we, 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 we strive to give him worship now. We strive to honor him. But there are still days we'll still struggle with sin. We still live in a world stained by sin, and our temptations, our bodies, our, our minds, our thoughts, our hearts are still default. You know, our default is to want to sin. And we hear this, right? And so the temp- we hear this. We fall short of the glory, and the temptation for us is saying, okay, I fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I just got to get back up. If I just get back up and try again, this time I'm not going to fall short. I'm going to reach that standard, and we we do this in life. We try to work hard to get that, to get that, to reach that glory of God. What happens in life is this. We're told we we can do anything, right? You're raised maybe to think, oh, you could be the next president. You could could win the next Nobel Prize. Just believe. And our postmodern world tells us this. Our generation is told, just put your mind to it. Follow your heart. You can achieve anything. And I'm talking about the Western privileged mindset, right? Because we wouldn't say this to a, a kid born into poverty in the Philippines or, or in the slums of the Philippines because that would just rub it in their face. But this is what we do in the West, don't we? You can do anything. And so we strive to be that, that unicorn, don't we? That unique, you know, we can achieve anything. And so we hustle, we push, and we get to the top of our game only to get there and be met with another mountain to climb. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You work really hard, you hustle really hard, and then you get to the top and you're like, oh, wait, there's another mountain I need to climb? And you never really get there. This is my life. Uh, here's my um, humble, humble brag, my boasting for the day. In primary school, when I finished primary school, did you know I got boys' ducks? Whew. I don't know if you ever knew that about me. Um, yeah, I'm not that dull in the end, right? I finished primary school with top marks. Didn't even try that hard. Now thinking I'm, I'm smart, right? I'll get into high school. And my high school was in the city. It had people from all over Brisbane going there. One of the guys here goes, went to the same high school as me. Uh, and I remember our first math class in grade eight. I rocked up. Back then, yeah, grade eight is when you started high school. And the teacher gave us this really simple quiz to see where we were all at in terms of our knowledge. I looked at this paper in front of me, and I had never seen any questions like this in my life. I was never taught this stuff. And so we finished the quiz, and he went through the answers, and he started asking the class, who got 10 out of 10? Put your hands up. Who got 9 out of 10? Who got 8 out of 10? He went slowly down each number. Most hands had already gone up, and in my humiliation, when he finally got to 1 out of 10, I put my hand up. He could have stopped earlier, but he knew. He knew I hadn't put my hand up yet. I was the only one who scored that low in that class. Talk about falling short of the standard. But isn't that the journey in life? We're going to feel it at times. We might hit the top of the game, but there's always going to be another mountain to climb. We'll get older, and we're going to get slower, and our energy levels will dip. There's always going to be someone who's going to get faster and smarter and more energy than you. It's going to be impossible to maintain. 
And most of us will feel this if we haven't already. We'll fall short of our own expectations. But consider God's goodness, His holiness, and consider yours. You might consider yourself as a good person, but compare yourself to the standard of God. Compare yourself to His moral perfection, His holiness and divine goodness. Can you even get close? Calculate it. Try calculating it in your head. How, how, how do you score in perfectly loving God and perfectly selflessly loving people around you? How did you score? Did you score 10 out of 10? Did you score 9 out of 10? 8 out of 10? 7 out of 10? You and I will fall short 10 out of 10 every time. We'll fall short. It's an impossible task to reach His standard of glory by ourselves. We can keep climbing. We can do a huge amount of good works, follow the law of God as best as we can. Other religions will say, you know, store up as much karma as you can, follow the law to a T. But the reality is we have to come to the conclusion none of us will reach God's standard of holiness. We all fall short of God's glory. Sin stains us all. Right? So that's what verse 23 tells us. Paul emphasizes this point. But there is a way. There is a way to get right with God. Now, Paul has alluded to this already. If you've been following chapter 1, verse 17, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to it, just a a page probably, or the page before. Chapter 1, verse 17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's through the gospel that righteousness is going to be revealed. It's through the gospel that uh, that, that we have faith in, that we'll have righteousness, that we can get right with God. We've got to receive the gospel, the good news, and have faith in that to be right. To see how it re- it's here in chapter 3, verse 22, righteousness is given through faith to all who believe in him, to all who believe. It's so interesting because Paul says, you know, uh, to the, he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Jewish people who were God's people in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and then the Gentiles who weren't Jewish people, the um, people who've become Christians, converted to Christianity. He says in verse 21, though, that the law and the prophets testify to this, to this truth. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. All the laws and the prophets, it's a summary of what the Old Testament is about. Imagine that if you're a Jewish person, right, in the Old Testament, you're thinking, hey, I've, I've been living all my life following the law and the prophets, and I've been following all the rules, and you're saying that's not how I'm going to get holy? That's not how I'm going to get right with God? I can't earn my way into God's good books? Paul's saying, no, look, God's holiness and getting right, the, the law and the prophets actually testify it's going to be through faith. It's going to be through faith. That's you're gonna, how you're going to get righteousness. It's so interesting. He uses the word testify, right? Like in a courtroom. You get witnesses that come to the bench and they put their hand on the Bible and they swear to testify to the truth that, that you know, and such a mind trip, it's like inception, right? You know, because what's, who's testifying? The Bible itself is testifying right now. The Old Testament is testifying. The scriptures, the law, the prophets, they testify to the truth. They're the witnesses. They're speaking up and they're saying, they're pointing us to the gospel. That's where you're going to get righteousness. The Old Testament, the scriptures that they have, they're pointing us to Jesus. Yeah, and this is really just an echo of what Jesus has already taught. This isn't new. This shouldn't be new to them. At the end of Luke chapter 24, verse 27, you can flip to it. I'm just going to read it for you. It's after the resurrection of Jesus. He's walking with his disciples, uh, and, and it tells us that he's, he's uh, beginning with Moses and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, that's what Moses refers to. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, Jesus. That was in Luke. Now in Romans, Paul is saying, 
the, the, the prophets and the law testify to the gospel. This is all there. Jesus already said, and this is the good news. Righteousness, being made right with God, is given through faith. We've received it from God. It's been granted to us by faith in Jesus for all who believe, Jew and Gentile, you and me, all who believe that he is the son of God who died for our sin, was raised again on the third day so that death and sin is completely done away with. When we put our faith in the gospel of Jesus, we receive righteousness. How good is that? All who believe, all who put their faith in him. That's how we get it. That's how we get right with God. But while that might be true, uh, we need to also understand how it works. Verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, this idea of justification is, is again, another legal word. We're declared righteous. We're declared right with God, reconciled into that reconciled, the broken relationship restored, no longer enemies. We've been made right with God. Uh, the sentence has been repealed. Is that the right word, lawyers in the room? Repealed? Yes? The sentence has been repealed. But instead of being declared guilty, we're declared now righteous. The judge of the world declares us innocent. Wow. Those who put their faith in Christ are set free now. God, by His grace, freely grants us our justification before Him. We didn't do anything. We didn't bring anything to the table. We didn't pay for it. We honestly don't even deserve it. We come simply with open, empty hands, trusting in God, putting our faith in Him. Let me get technical real quick. Our faith itself doesn't save us. It's our faith in Jesus, the object of our faith, that saves us. You see, both the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible points us to the Jesus as the one who is the perfect one, who gifts us with his righteousness so we can be justified. We're justified freely by grace through faith in Jesus. So faith itself isn't some sort of achievement to unlock, right, that makes you worthy of salvation. Your faith is really just an act of trust. It's that method by which you receive grace. So it's faith in Jesus who justifies us freely by grace. That's what makes us right with God. It's so important because if we think it's up to us that makes us right with God, we won't look to Christ. If we think it's about the strength of our faith that saves us, that I've got some sort of level 99 faith, it's that level of faith, the power of my faith that saves me, that's, that's not the point. Faith isn't the cause. It's merely the instrument by which we receive Jesus. See, our justification, that declaration of righteousness is freely given to us by grace through the redemption that came by Christ. Now, let me explain redemption quickly for a minute. Here's the thing. There's all these big words in today's, in today's um, passage. Redemption, here's the thing about justice. Someone has to pay the penalty. I don't know. Have you ever watched a movie where at the end, the villain gets away? Have you ever watched those movies and you finish it and you get frustrated because there's no closure? The villain just goes around killing people, doing whatever. There's no happy ending. There's all these loose threads. It makes us feel uncomfortable, doesn't it? And you, 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 throw, you want to throw something at the TV. The, the, the bad guy didn't get caught. Who's going to pay for the crimes? Someone has to pay. If humanity is guilty for sin, if we're guilty for offending God and we're all deserving of judgment, how can God just let us go? Is that justice? I mean, if someone did a heinous crime, would we just let them go? It's so interesting, isn't it? Because we all cry for justice in this world. 
We all want to see justice. Uh, the law demands justice. Right now, I've been reading a lot of the news, and it's so sad in, in the US, it's across social, social media, but there's a huge outcry for justice as there are elderly Asian people in America being assaulted, and one 84-year-old Thai man was killed in San Francisco merely for being Asian. And celebrities are putting out rewards because they want to find this person who did this and bring them to justice. Last month, I saw another video in this last month. This is all happening in the last month, right? It's fueled by COVID and racism. I saw another sad video the other day of a guy in Brooklyn. He pushed over an old grandma as she walked past. So rude. My heart was breaking. And so people are protesting and holding up signs in New York saying, you know, love us like you love our food. It's so sad. We all want justice. We want justice for Lady Gaga's dogs that got stolen the other day. We all want justice. We want to find out who did it. Someone needs to pay. We want people to be held to account. See, we're in God's courtroom found guilty of sin. We all fall short. We've all rejected and disrespected God. Who's going to pay bail? See, the penalty is this. Your life is on death row. Condemnation and eternal death and punishment awaits. God requires payment from us. Justice needs to be served so that our sin, our offenses against God can be held to account. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know if you've ever heard people say this to you if, if you're a Christian, but someone, uh, I often get this question, why can't God just be all loving? Why does he have to have this judgment side to him? Can't he just be all loving? And you wonder why people ask this question because how can God be all loving without serving justice? Because what about all the injustice in the world? Is God just going to forgive and forget, sweep it under the rug like, he, like it's no big thing? If God is going to be loving, he has to have a justice side to him, doesn't he? People want justice. And so we, in this passage, who comes into the picture? Enter Jesus. Jesus, the one who redeems us, the redeemer. Redemption is a word where it covers this idea of, of, of gaining or, or regaining something in exchange for a payment or clearing a debt, right? So people in Paul's day, they would have understand this, this term, redemption. You've got people in ancient cultures who, um, they put themselves in debt because they, uh, they can't pay it back. They, they borrow money or they get up to no good and they get put into slavery under someone's household and they have to work it off, work off their debt, right? Some debts could mean you have li- a lifetime in slavery to pay it off. But what could happen is usually a friend or family member, a relative um, who's you know, making bank, they could come along and they'd want to free you from that slavery. They'd pay off what was owed. Like, um, say Ian got up to no good and he was in slavery at someone else's house and Luke came by and was like, hey, I've got this money, maybe I'll buy you back. Ian, maybe I'll buy you back, you can come back home. You know? That idea, that's redemption. Luke would be redeeming Ian. Right? You pay off what was owed and that person would be free. Ian would be redeemed. Here's the thing about sin. We're in debt to God. Paul uses this marketplace language, this buy-sell terminology, redemption, to describe what's happening. There's a transaction happening we're just, when we're justified. The ransom that sin requires has to be paid so that justice can be performed. Here's the payment. Jesus' life for mine. Jesus' life for yours. Jesus has paid and bought us back, brought us back to God. We're redeemed. Our debt can't be paid off by good works. It's not enough. We've already established that. Nothing we can do can reach God's standard because our nature is stained by sin. My heart's default is to reject God, put myself on the throne. There's no way by sheer effort that I can repay that debt. I need someone, someone holy to pay that debt for me. 
And there's only one person who can, the Son of God himself, perfect and holy, without sin. I need him to cover me and cover my debt. I need him to save my butt from the punishment that I'm deserving of. He stands in my place. He receives the wrath, the condemnation that I deserve. He redeems you and I and those who put their faith in him. Friends, this is the gospel. And let's understand the gravity of this. While we're justified freely by grace, which means we we don't and can't bring anything to the table, Jesus himself had to pay the debt on our behalf when we couldn't. Friends, you and I were bought at a price. His grace wasn't cheap. It wasn't cheap grace. It was costly. It cost him his life. We're no longer living under the slavery of sin or the condemnation of guilt. We've been bought back so that God, the judge, can declare us justified, righteous, innocent, free. Last week, if you remember, I brought up this question, why would God let you into heaven? And the temptation for us would be to list out all our good works and achievements and say, God, aren't you impressed by all this stuff? Look how much I've done. Of course I should be led into heaven. But you know what? Sin covers it all. And we all fall short. Honestly, seriously, I wouldn't let myself into heaven because I'd feel so unclean in God's presence. But you know why God will let you into heaven? Why would God let you into his perfect holy presence? Because of your faith in the one who covers your sin and makes you righteous and clean before him. Your redeemer, Jesus, he's the reason why we can enter into his holy presence. He redeems our souls and by doing so restores us back to our creator. There's one more thing. Paul gives us another description to help us understand how this works, how getting right with God can happen. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, so Paul is taking us from the courtroom from the courtroom language of justification to the, to the marketplace language of redemption, now he takes us to the temple, the sacrifice of atonement. That's how he describes it. If you have an uh, English standard version, the ESV Bible in front of you, the translation here, it says propitiation. Really interesting, a word that I don't think we ever use in normal everyday language. What is that idea of propitiation or sacrifice of atonement? What does that mean? It means God, God's wrath was turned away from us and place upon someone else. Have you ever heard that phrase, um, out for blood, right? When one of our friends uh, rages, goes on a rampage, you got, you got, you know, maybe you're thinking of someone right now, we joke and we say, man, she's out for blood. It's payment, isn't it? We want payment. We want someone to suffer. We want someone to, 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 to pay for what they did wrong. Well, you know, God, he needs blood to be spilled. When sin had to be atoned for in the Old Testament, it means the blood of a sacrificial animal. It had to be shed for justice to be served. That's how, um, that's that's what had to happen. And you feel sorry, don't you, for these innocent, these innocent pure lambs. They had their, their throats slit and their blood spilled for your sin. They were the sacrifice. You know, I know many of us, we just want God to turn away from our sin. Click his fingers Be forgiving, forget about it, sweep it under the rug, turn a blind eye at our sin. But is that justice? Will the victims of sin feel like justice was served if God just forgot about it? Will God himself, would that be even his character? He can't turn away from it. You wouldn't either. 
Someone has to pay for justice to be done. Blood needs to be spilled. And in the Old Testament, that means, yes, you go to the temple, you bring an animal, you sacrifice it for sin. The blood would be poured on the altar. Forgiveness would be granted for the redemption and atonement of sin. What do we see in the gospel? We see something even greater. The blood was shed. It was the blood of a greater sacrifice, a greater lamb on the altar. It was the body of Christ on the cross for you and for me. The sacrifice is what saves us. The sacrifice of atonement, propitiation, that has happened because Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and for me on our behalf as our substitute. When we go back to the courtroom of God's true crime story, guess who's the one now receiving judgment? It's not you. It's not me. It's Jesus. He's standing in our place. He takes the penalty. He goes on death row, takes the death sentence for us. He didn't have to. He wanted to, to satisfy God's wrath, to satisfy justice, while saving people like you and me from it in his love for us. There's this verse in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, hear this, God made him, God made him to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How beautiful is that? Who had no sin. He, God made him who had no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See what the cross of Jesus represents for us. It represents everything, doesn't it? We see the love of God on display that he gives us a way out. But we also see the justice of God performed there. Not on us, but on his very own son. God knows there's no other way for us to be saved. He had to provide the solution for his own vindication. The sin of humankind has to be accounted for. Blood needs to be spilled. Jesus has to sacrifice himself for justice to be performed. And we see at the cross, don't we, the love and justice of God come mingled down. And so when Paul says God has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, he's talking about how before Jesus' time there was, there was a sin that was not yet accounted for. Right? I get asked this question a lot. I don't know about if you've ever asked it, but how did the people in the Old Testament, how did they get saved if Jesus wasn't around yet? How did the people in the Old Testament get saved if Jesus hadn't died yet? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but here's the answer. Right here in Romans 3, God patiently waited for the Messiah, for Jesus to come to die for the sins of the past, for the sins of the present, for the sins of the future, so they could be atoned for. An easy way of understanding this is, is you guys know what afterpay is? Don't use afterpay, please. It's terrible. Just save your money. Um, but, you know, don't get into debt unless it's mortgage. Um, but here's the thing about afterpay. You get the thing you want and you pay for it later. And here in the Bible, there's this sort of afterpay system with sin and being held to account. The Old Testament saints, right? The Old Testament people, people of God, they put their faith in God's promises that he'll send a Messiah to, a Messiah to save them. They trusted in the promises, not in their ability to follow the law perfectly, because they always failed at that. They trusted and repented and turned to God and his promises that a Messiah would come, that Jesus would come one day. And so they received forgiveness for their sin, but the payment, the shedding of blood, still had to come. Essentially, the people in the Old Testament had to put their faith in the same promises as we do. The promise that a Messiah would take away the sins of the world. And he did. He came in Jesus, the incarnate God who was sinless in every way. His death on the cross was the payment that could satisfy God's justice. So the believers before Jesus, they put their faith in the one who was to come. For us today, the church, you and I, we put our faith in the one who has come. Do you see it? God is just. And God is the one who justifies. 
He is both the judge and he is the sacrifice. In the language of the, of the Hunger Games, he's the tribute, right? And by his death, justice is served. The cross is so amazing because in one big brushstroke, we see God the judge hold the world accountable and justice performed. But we see God the justifier who sacrificed himself and did everything necessary to forgive, reconcile, and restore us when we couldn't. How good is that? How, how, how thankful should we be? It's through faith, through trusting Jesus and what he accomplished on our behalf that we're made right with God. And so at Providence here at this church, you hear, you hear us say this all the time. We're unashamed of saying we're a church on about loving Jesus. This is why, friends, because this is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the one that makes us right with God. He dies on the cross to redeem and to atone us for our sins. So let's, let's recap. How do we get right with God? Well, there's the impossible way. There's the impossible way where we can try to live as a sinless person and have a heart that's entirely loving God and loving others without any hint of sin. That's impossible because we all have sin. But there is a possible way to get right with God. It's faith in Jesus. You see, if this is all true, where will we stand in God's courtroom, in his true crime story? Here's the thing. Paul finishes this chapter. We didn't look at it much. 27 to 31, saying there is no room for boasting. Our confidence cannot be found in how great our faith is or how great and good we are at following God's laws or being good boys and girls. I know some of us here, right? We grow up with the, we grow up with the Christian faith. Uh, we grow up as children in church. That's great. You've always gone to church. Great. We've been involved in serving church. Great. Our parents are Christian too. Whatever. We're born into the faith. We studied and then we got good grades at uni and didn't go down that rebellious path except maybe you smoked a cigarette one time. Sure. We finished tertiary education, landed a decent, reasonable, respectable job. We overall have done the right thing and we present ourselves as good Christians. But is that what you're going to boast in? That you've got this great track record, that you've gone through life doing all this good, good stuff, but not really making much of Jesus in your lives, making it all about yourself. I know the reality that often for Christians, we just go through the motions and we'll take Jesus for granted. Yeah, I've got this free ticket to heaven, but I secured that because I've been a decent person all my life, unlike those other people around me. Friends, that's not the gospel. We need to dismantle these false understandings of Christianity and the gospel because it's not about us. It's not about what you've done. It's not the 12 principles to life or how good you are according to God. The gospel is about Jesus. There is no room for boasting in ourselves. We come with nothing before Jesus. I've been in Christian circles long enough to know if we don't get this right, we actually miss the beauty of the gospel. And there are too many churches uh, filled with Christians who actually miss this, 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 this moment, this beauty that we see here in Romans 3, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. You know, instead of a dazzling diamond, we've made room in our hearts for a dull cubic zirconia, right? There are too many Christians, we hear this message, but our lives uh, are, are lives that will treat God's grace as cheap. Or we'll be at the other end where we place our own justification uh, on our track record and how much we've done. Friends, we all need to bring it back before the foot of the cross. 
When you and I truly understand the gospel, that colors everything we do. Guess what? You and I will never boast in ourselves. We'll never boast in ourselves when we understand this. Yeah, sure, your achievements may be impressive by worldly standards. Yes, good for you. But before God, you and I will always fall short. There's only going to be one thing you and I will boast in. The righteousness received through Jesus. The work he accomplished on our behalf. And we can't take any credit for that. God gets all the glory. Man, that's so humbling, isn't it? But it's also so freeing. Our confidence isn't going to be in what I can or cannot achieve. Because that's exhausting. That's paralyzing. It's overwhelming. It brings anxiety. Imagine if something happened to you where you can't achieve anymore the things that you set out to achieve. Imagine if some sort of accident happened and you can't do the things that you thought you could do once upon a time. There are just too many mountains to climb. But if we were to see our lives in light of Jesus, let's boast in that. Let's boast in his righteousness that we receive by grace. And man, I appreciate when people, you, you talk to people that they get it. And they'll say things like, I'm, I'm so thankful to Jesus for where I am today. Regardless of achievements or accolades, they'll say, it's only by the grace of God. And I'm hoping that's not lip service when they say it, but it's a heart of humility boasting in Jesus. Not in some sort of humble brag, but as an expression of your heart that's felt the depth of God's redeeming love at the cross for you and for me. An uh, 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 old school preacher, Martin Lord Jones, he said this, the man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself, who no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he is now. He does not look at what he hopes to be. He looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work, and he rests on that alone. That's a man who has faith, a woman who has faith. If you're someone here who has been walking uh, with God and, and calls yourself a Christian, can I encourage you to, to look to Him and boast in Him? But you might be someone here, though, who's lived uh, the more rebellious life. You've rejected God most of your life. You're not quite there yet with God even today. Let me ask you, do you know where you stand in God's courtroom? Are you aware of your sin and your guilt? Do you know that justice has to be served? That God won't allow it to slide? It's not the God of the Bible. And frankly, not the type of God any of us would want if he was just going to let injustice slide. Justice has to be performed. Where in the courtroom will you stand? Will you be declared guilty? Or will you come to Jesus in faith and be declared righteous, justified? Another old school preacher, Marcus Lone, he was in, from Sydney actually in the 60s. He says, to speak of forgiveness is to say, you may go. You've been let off from the penalty. But to speak of justification, wow, that's to say, you may come. You're welcomed into all my love and my presence. Friends, we get, we get forgiveness. Yes, we get justification as well. There's an offer of justification that comes by faith. The judge himself wants to pardon you and show you grace and also welcome you home. The judge himself will make the sacrifice. He'll atone for your sins on your behalf. Wouldn't you want that? Can I encourage you, would you consider putting your faith in and trusting Jesus as your Redeemer? Honestly, you and I will never appreciate Jesus if we're not aware of what we've been saved from. We'll never appreciate Jesus if we don't know who we're saved to as well. We're saved into a relationship with a just and compassionate God. Wrestle with that. The gospel can't be any more clearer today. 
We've been justified. We've been redeemed and our sins have been atoned for through faith in the saving work of Jesus. You know, the thing about true crime miniseries and documentaries is, is sometimes we're made aware of the great injustices in our world, of people who've been given life sentences who are undeserving of it. And it makes us sick that people think uh, that, that people are unfairly incarcerated and executed even for things they simply do not do. Let me tell you about another injustice that would make a really good tr true crime documentary. It had to do with a man who lived 2,000 years ago, right? Who did no harm to others. He loved the poor, the sick, the marginalized. He was a good teacher. He himself was without sin. But one day he was accused, arrested, beaten up, then nailed to a cross and was executed. We should be outraged that the injustice fell upon Jesus. And yes, we might want to blame the Jews and the Romans who put him on the cross, but we all need to realize something in this true crime plot, don't we? We're just as guilty for nailing him to the cross. Because of our sin, we are just as complicit in killing Jesus. But guess who really put him there? Here's the twist in our true crime story. God did. God put Jesus on the cross for you and for me. Because while injustice fell upon Jesus, justice for sin had to be served. And God, in his mercy and grace, gave up his one and only son, Jesus, so that our guilt and our sin could be redeemed and atoned for. He is the one who is just, and he is the one who is the justifier. So let me ask you as we finish, will you and I put our faith in Jesus, our Redeemer, to get right with God? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that even though we were so undeserving of your grace, that in our sin, you reached out to us and you loved us and you showed us justice, you showed us mercy, you showed us compassion at the cross. Father, we're so thankful for Jesus that Jesus willingly went to die for us to take our sin away so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be brought back and brought back into a relationship with you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we, could be, that we can be restored to you, that we can have an eternal hope and eternal life with you. There is no greater gift in this world there is no greater blessing we can have except to have Jesus. Father, help us see that. While we get so consumed by the world's issues, while we get so consumed by our own idols, the gods that we worship in this life, help us to see that you are the one worthy of all of it, of world, worthy of all our worship, of all our lives. Because you're the God who is just, and you're the God who is the justifier. And through you, Lord, we can... We can, we can have everything. I do pray that for us today, Lord, especially some of us here who are still wrestling with this truth. I pray that you'll help us to open our eyes, open our hearts to this revelation, Lord, that there is no greater good news than what we have in Jesus. He brings us from death to life, from guilty to innocent, declared righteous before you. Help us to see that great news, Lord, and help us to put our faith in you. We pray this, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen.